Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Perhaps you've heard the song, Love in Any Language. Anybody? Three? Seriously? Do I have to sing it? Love in any language, stray from the heart, something, 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 never apart. I don't know. I don't know the words, but certainly it rings through my mind, and now all of us will have to look it up and uh, listen to it in its entirety to get it out of our head, right? Now, I, I think about the song, and I think about this um, specific series we're walking through. It's going to be a three-part series. Um, very interesting to think about the way that uh, love is discussed in Scripture, but also interesting to think about how thanksgiving is discussed in Scripture. The original text, Old Testament and New Testament, is made up of three languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And in all three of those languages, the, the word, the concept of thanksgiving is expressed, and in each one has different implications and uh, different concepts that we as believers, even today, can understand, and how God wants us to engage in the world and engage with one another and with him. And so as we walk through this series, it's not going to be love in any language, but it will be thanksgiving in any language, which doesn't have the same ring to it, I get that, but still... Hopefully there's a reminder there, Thanksgiving in any language. I don't know. Maybe you'll sing that on Thanksgiving with your family, right? This week we look at Thanksgiving in the Greek language. And before you say that's all Greek to me and check out, let me just say we're only going to talk about one word. A word that possibly you've heard today or before, possibly you've thought about before. Maybe you've even, in your your church background, wherever you went to church, you had an understanding of this word. Or maybe you heard it before and thought, that's a high church thing or a Catholic church thing. But the word is Eucharist. And interesting, today, uh, maybe this is almost planned, right? Today we're going to consume or we're going to engage in communion in the Lord's Supper or some call Eucharist. Thanksgiving. Jesus um, demonstrated the Lord's Supper, the, the Last Supper. He went through this engagement with his disciples. And a big part of that was recognizing the need to share, to express, to give thanks. I don't remember my first Thanksgiving. I don't remember even early back or early Thanksgivings, to be honest. Our, our family gathered for meals from time to time, and I can't really uh, attribute what was a Thanksgiving meal, what was a, a family get-together, what was Christmas, what was an Easter meal. Uh, simply getting together and having a big meal was uh, somewhat of a tradition. I do, however, remember what I would liken as maybe something that was closest to, quote, what we would consider the first Thanksgiving about six years ago, or almost six years ago, my, my wife and I felt a call to, to follow uh, God to, to serve out west in South Dakota at a church there. And in so doing, we moved 16 to 12 hours, based upon, or depending upon which family member you're talking about, away from any family. And so in this uh, new environment we were in, the reality was there was very little opportunity for us to be able to connect for holidays like Thanksgiving in person with our blood relatives or our family. 
And as, um, I guess how God worked this out, but as has he does, it was interesting that my wife's best friend, she grew up in Valparaiso, Indiana, her best friend um, actually lived in Montana. Both of us had moved around. We had because of ministry, and they had because of ministry in the military. And they were serving in Montana, and we were in South Dakota. And we were about eight hours from each other, but that meant we were only four hours from seeing each other. And so what we chose to do uh, for the, the entirety of the time we were there, so each year for Thanksgiving, was to meet halfway at a cabin at, on a Christian camp in or outside of Rapid City, South Dakota. And that first year specifically, I remember this uh, very vividly, actually, as we got together and we cooked the turkey outside and, and, and the, the, the ladies prepared things and we, 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 we got everything ready with the table and the chairs and set everything up. We kind of sat around actually outside on the deck in really sweaters and sweatshirts. It was, a, it was a nice day. We sat outside and I thought, man, this, you know, we had corn and we had potatoes and we had the turkey. This is what the first Thanksgiving was like. Right? Everybody was sitting around happy, enjoying one another's company, right? And I think about the first Thanksgiving, and I think, man, there probably wasn't any belt buckles. There weren't any hats. There weren't headdresses. There wasn't any, you know, sitting down and having this time together, two cultures clashing together, because the first Thanksgiving actually didn't take place even in this country, The first Thanksgiving actually took place and and was actually uh, facilitated by who I would call, and probably you know him as, Jesus Christ. Because the first Thanksgiving is actually the Lord's Supper. And even when we do uh, facilitate Thanksgiving, which was originally uh, founded as a Christian holiday, when we do uh, celebrate uh, Thanksgiving in this uh, culture, in our country, one of the things we do recognize is this Thanksgiving we have is actually not just for the things that we have, the items that we have, but also it is for the person and the action of the person who saved our souls. We're going to look today at at an account of the first Thanksgiving, actually Mark's account. There's there's three accounts of the first Thanksgiving. There is uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and then John doesn't give us much on it. But then again, again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about it some more. But as we look at the first Thanksgiving today, as we walk through this Eucharist together, we're going to look at Mark chapter 14. And if you look at your note guide today, you're going to see a lot of blank space. That's somewhat intentional. I mean, I didn't give any notes to the office to say, here's what I want in there. That's part of it. But the other part is because I hope that today that there will be notes that will come that are a little more personal, uh, a little more subjective than rather than objective. In fact, I don't want to give you the fill in the blank. I want you to fill in the blank on your own. And so let's kind of walk through this today. As we walk through, we'll start with the preparation of the first Thanksgiving, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. In chapter 14, verse 12, it says, On the first day of the festival unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. 
Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. First and foremost, Thanksgiving takes preparation. To be thankful, to live in a posture of Thanksgiving, there must be preparation. In fact, we see it here. Practically, there was a preparation of the Passover meal. There was the Passover lamb and this recognition that, hey, there's a, there's a celebration we're going to have, a celebration of the, of the greatest moment in human history to that point when, when God said, okay, I'm going to prepare a deliverance for my people. While they live in captivity, I'm going to give them a way out. I'm going to show them the way out. Thanksgiving can be done in the midst of many things. In fact, Jesus here uses the Passover holiday and expands upon it more than just saying, okay, let's, let's do this, this ritual that we walk through. I have a new day, a new thing that I want to grant and I want to give. Some background information that's important here as Jesus gives these specific instructions is that anybody that was coming, any pilgrims that were coming, so to speak, and that's the right phraseology, that were coming to Jerusalem to, to engage in the Passover meal, were told by those that live there, you have to grant them passage and give them a place. Because the Passover meal was one that had to be done within the context or within the physical space of the city walls or the city that was expanded, the city scope or city space. And so when Jesus sent the disciples to go and prepare, there were individuals that were ready to say, yes, I open my doors. I give you a room. I give you a space at the end, so to speak, so that you can come and you can take part in this greater celebration together because all are invited. Not just those who live here or those who started with it or those that have uh, this, this certain property or whatever it might be. Instead, all have the opportunity. No meal was more important for the Jew at this point because this celebrated the salvation event for them, for their lives. Some interesting thoughts in verse 12, it talks about the willing servants and, and the meal that had to be eaten within city limits. Verse 13, specific instructions. Get this, Jesus gives some pretty specific instructions. He sent the two disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house that he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? So Jesus is, is basically sharing with him, hey, you're going to run into a man. He's going to be carrying water. And he's also going to have a guest room open for you that's large enough to facilitate the 13 of us. And so Jesus now is, is, is looked at by his disciples as they ask the question, as the head of the household, the one who's leading this meal. They're all looking to him. They go to this place and the preparations are made. It's interesting to me that upper room, that word room there in the original text is only used one other time. That's in Luke chapter 2 verse 7 when a, when a lowly innkeeper actually says there's no room for you at the inn. And here we see things come full circle as Jesus says, no, 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 no. There is room. In fact, there's room at the table for everyone. There's room at this table for everyone. None are to be excluded, none are to be cast out, none are to be left out, but all who call on the name Jesus, all children of God are welcome at the table. You know, Satan would have you to believe that that's not the case. 
He would have you to believe that you've done too much, that you partied, that you did something wrong. He would have you to believe that you were born into the wrong family or in the wrong country, or you don't have enough to give, or you're not giving enough. He would have you to believe any number of lies, and he knows what lie to tell you to get you to separate. But instead, what Jesus is saying is there is room. If you showed up at this service now or turned on this service today perfect, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you just in this moment, this, this is nice from your pastor. I'm going to tell you, if you showed up today perfect, take a second look. Because none of us are. And Jesus welcomes us to the table, recognizing that we're not perfect and granting us the opportunity to be able to engage with him. That's Thanksgiving. The climax of the passage comes here as the disciples found everything just as Jesus told them. There was no detail left undone. In the Eucharist, there needs to be personal preparation, a need to set the table. In fact, here's the point that's going to come with one of those fill-in-the-blanks. Thanksgiving takes intentionality and authenticity. My wife will tell you that I don't like to say I'm sorry, but not... Stop laughing there, child. But not because I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't want to express that I've done something wrong. It's because I want to tell her I'm sorry when I'm really sorry. I want it to be authentic. I want it to be real. Just the same as I don't want to receive an I'm sorry until the person truly is. Authenticity is important. I, I, not too long ago, I was cleaning out my, my garage, my workbench area, and I found a, a geode, which is basically a, a rock that on the outside looks like any other rock, but when you split it open on the inside, it looks beautiful, and there's, it looks like you know, jewels, and it shines and glistens in the sun. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put this out where I know that my youngest son will find it. I'm going to put it out where he, he, he likes to pick up rocks and collect rocks. I'm going to put it out where he'll find it. So I put it out by our deck where he would walk by it, and two or three days went by, and he did not see this rock. Now, let me tell you that it was cut in half, and the, the beautiful side was down, and the, the rough side was up. And I thought, man, I wonder what's going to happen here. At some point, he's going to find this. And so I finally, wanting to see what was going to happen, I told him, I said, hey, buddy, there's a rock over there. And he thought, yeah, yeah, there is. And so he, he walked by, and he picked up the rock, and he's like, yeah, okay. And then he turned it over and he saw the beauty inside and he was like, wow, this is gorgeous. I'm going to tell you, there's probably an illustration to this, right? The outside was dirty, the inside. So, wow, this is so beautiful. And he looked at it, he thought it was really cool. He said, I'm going to get this after school. And he put it back down. And he got home from school that day and he picked up the rock and he was playing with it. And I asked my wife, so what happened when Sawyer found this rock? You know, he came back home, he had it and it was setting up on a shelf. He said, yeah, he, he liked it. It was neat. I thought, what happened? And then I recognized and I realized that my child is growing up and he saw through the fact that I planted the rock. <laughs> there is a need for authenticity, a need for intentionality. And the question, maybe the, the rhetorical question now, but hopefully a question that you'll answer with your family and friends later today is, what is standing in the way of you walking forward with an intentional and authentic thanksgiving towards the God who created you, toward receiving an authentic touch from the God who loves you and granted you or wants to grant you new life and life fresh and anew? The passage goes on as Mark writes and in verse 17, it says, When evening came, so the meal has been prepared, everything is ready. When the evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. 
While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now let me just say, this is not the typical speech that takes place at a Passover meal. Usually the rhythm of the Passover meal is exciting and refreshing and everybody's reflecting upon what God has done. And here Jesus kind of sours the environment. He sours the, 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 uh, the attitude and the temperature in the room by saying, hey, just so you know, one of you is going to turn your back on me. One of you is going to do something that's really, you know, really contrary to what I'm trying to do here. I just want everybody to know, okay, let's eat, right? It says they were saddened and one by one they said, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. They've arrived, the meal is ready, and Jesus begins on this, basically, in some regards, a rant about somebody betraying him, somebody turning their back on him, one of the the close-knit group. Jesus' claim about a betrayer among them would have been scandalous in a lot of ways. Why would he break the tradition of what we're trying to celebrate, this Passover and what God has done, to kind of point back on the fact that there's a guilty person, a guilty party in our midst? We don't want to think about that. We want to think about God's greatness and not recognize the issues that stand around us or the issues that are in us. For eating this meal was an acceptance of peace and trust and forgiveness and and brotherhood. And Jesus changes that. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It's interesting here that each disciple, while Jesus calls sin, sin, each disciple asks, you don't mean me instead of who is it? And the difference of the the, the phraseology of those two questions is very important because one recognizes the fact that, hey, you know what? We, We see that there's sin, but I want to make sure it's not me. The other one says, look, tell us who it is because we want to see, we want to know, we want to understand. Don't, don't throw me under the bus, Jesus, but instead, I know there's a sinner out here. You can figure that out later. As long as I'm cleared, I know that I'm not the one. Since the identity, though, is not shared here, Jesus doesn't say, okay, just so you know, it's Judas, right? He doesn't point him out. Instead, what takes place is there's an understanding among the disciples. There's enough sin to go around. See, he's He's painting the picture. He's helping them to recognize that there's a fallen place in their lives and there needs to be some sort of reconciliation. And while he's using the Passover as a place for Thanksgiving, he's also using it to reveal to them the fact that there is a Thanksgiving they will have for the greatest gift they will ever receive. They had to have something to be thankful for. And when, when we take Eucharist, we come to God with a humble posture. In fact, later as we kind of walk through the the communion moment together, the taking of the Eucharist, we spend a time to pass the plates. And at that moment, there's a time of reflection, personal reflection of humility, recognizing the places of, of, of where we've fallen, the places of brokenness in our lives so we can give those to God. The psalmist in Psalm 50, 23 writes, those who sacrifice thanks, thank offerings honor me and to the blameless, I will show my 
salvation. Thanksgiving must come from an honest and sober picture of self. And even when things are bad, even when things are difficult, even when things don't make sense, there's still a place for us to humble ourselves before God. Have you ever wondered or ever asked, how can someone be thankful to God even when they're in the midst of the storm? How can I be thankful to God even when I'm in the midst of a difficult storm or a fight or a financial issue or a difficult place where I don't know what's happening or don't know what's going to happen? The thankfulness comes from a place of first being thankful for who God is and what God has done. And when we're in that posture, when we're in that place, God changes everything. Charles Stanley shares the impact of Thanksgiving. I want to share just a, a list of these. You can uh, write them down if you'd like to. If not, uh, email me this week and I'll send them to you. The first one is he keeps us continually aware that we are walking in the presence of the God who loves us, who created us. Thanksgiving keeps us in a place where we are continually aware that we are with God, that we are with the Savior of the world, Jesus when we live in a place of thanksgiving, we are motivated. We're motivated in every way. He motivates us to look for his purpose in everything and he allows us in, that he allows us in our life. So basically, there's a motivation to look for God's purpose. When the good times come, we look for God's purpose and we say thank you. When the bad times are here, we look at those and we say, God, how can I thank you in these issues? What can I look for in your plan and see your redemptive story? Thanksgiving helps us to bring our will into submission with the will of God, even when we're suffering pain and loss. Thanksgiving give, brings us to a place to see things the way that God sees things, through his eyes, through his scope. When we're thankful to God, he keeps us continually reminded of who he is in our lives. He is God and we are not. He's got this, even when we don't. Thanksgiving helps us to trust him when I don't understand why. When we don't understand why something happens, how it happens, what's going on, when we thank God for it, when we thank God in the midst of what's happening, whether good or bad, it helps us to understand the why. When we're thankful, it removes anxiety. When we're thankful... When we're thankful for what we have, for where we are, for the way that our life is, no matter what's taking place, it removes anxiety because we trust in the one who created all. Being thankful keeps focus on him rather than on my circumstances. The things around us can cloud us. The things around us can direct us in the wrong path. The things around us can cause us to hit the, the, the rumble strips or the guardrail on either side. When in fact, what God is saying is continue forward and keep focused on me. And then finally, Thanksgiving can energize us. Being thankful in God can energize us to live differently, to talk differently, to, to, to invest differently, to, to give our lives in a way that is energizing, exciting, fun, compassionate, grace-filled, and joy-filled. Thanksgiving changes us. It transforms us. And perhaps the, the rhetorical question once again for, for us to discuss later is this. How has or how can Thanksgiving or being thankful change you? 
Finally, we, we, we walk through the, the, the preparation of the passage. We walk through Jesus kind of souring the waters, but doing so intentionally. And then finally, in verse 22, he gets down to it. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so at this point, Jesus is walking through this institution, this facilitation of the first Lord's Supper, the first Eucharist. And four specific verbs are granted here in this gospel and the others as well. And each synoptic gospel talks about how he took he gave thanks, he broke, and then he gave. He took, he gave thanks, Eucharist. He broke the bread, just his body was broken, and he gave. This echoes both of the feeding miracles that Jesus had as he engaged in feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. And here Jesus is once again revealing the fact that the bread is, is, a, is a simple and a very significant thing, but a very simple thing that helps them to understand and to see what takes place. Some interesting thoughts that go along with, with this is the cup, right? There was four cups that they would, they would typically do traditionally that they would drink from during this meal. And we don't know which one specifically, but we do recognize is the cup is for all. The cup was given to all. They all had a clear, even Judas had a clear opportunity to be able to experience the cup. Verse 24 talks about this clear discussion of the nature of the atonement, the connection of the Old Testament from Exodus 24 and the making of the covenant like on Mount Sinai. And then finally, verse 24, and this is possibly one of the greatest things that Jesus uttered during this time and one that, that really everybody in that room probably didn't fully understand, but we fully understand and have the opportunity to engage in. And that is the fact that the last verse there, he reveals that it is, or the second to last verse, it is for many. Meaning this isn't an exclusive thing that it's only for a few people, but it is for many. It is for all, for everyone to participate in, in the community for the redeemed. Verse 25 says, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. You catch that until? You know, words matter. And this, this word right here matters because that, that, is a, that is a prophetic word saying, Look, I'm not done yet. I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. Instead, Jesus says, until, because at one point, at some point, he will return. And that return will be a moment where he comes and in all respects gives opportunity for us to express our final measure of thanksgiving. Our final response of thanksgiving. We can give thanksgiving for so many things, but the one thing that matters most, the one thing that was granted to us is all that matters, especially in the end. For some, it's difficult to say thank you. 
For some, it's difficult to say thank you in the good times and sometimes in the bad. Sometimes it's good to say, or hard to say thank you when you receive a gift. And maybe sometimes you don't even think uh, of a thank you. You know, we, we thank God before our meals typically, at least uh, with, a, with a short prayer. Maybe you thank God when you, when you gain something, a blessing. Do you thank God when you, when you, when you put gas in your car or when a, when, when a loved one returns home safely? Do you thank God? Let me, let me just say, I, I thanked God a couple of weeks ago. I was driving and it was, it was twilight. You know, it was kind of that time when it's hard to see. The lights are, headlights are on, but the, the moon or the sun is not out yet. So it's kind of that in-between time. And I come upon a wreck that had just taken place. And I'm driving down the highway and, and I see a kind of a flashing light. Isn't it amazing how light brings forth an opportunity for us to see clearly? This flashing light was kind of off-centered, not really in the lane. I thought, what's going on here? And as I got closer, I could see that there was a dark vehicle across the lane that I was in. And so I quickly got over and I thanked God out loud with my children in the car, the three of them. Thank you, God, for, for, for helping us to avoid this and not hurt anyone further and, and, and not to get hurt ourselves. God, thank you so much for what you've done here. And I think about that and I think, man, yeah, a lot of times we thank God for those types of situations, but did I thank God for the light? Not until after, as I really thought about symbolically the reality that God gave us. He gives each of us the light. He puts light in us in a dark world. And this light is the only thing that can bring forth real and lasting life in our, in our spiritual lives, in our, in, our, in our souls beyond this point. It's the light we can thank you for. So as we transition now to, to a time of, of communion, a time of the Lord's Supper, may this be not just a moment of coming together. May this not just be a moment of consuming the elements and kind of walking through the motions like the disciples expected to do that, that Passover meal, but may this be a time when Jesus shakes something up, maybe inside of you, to say, here's a place where you're not being thankful and I would like for you to express, to experience it. Maybe there's something in you right now that says, I'm not thankful of the light because I've never given my heart to Jesus. And this could be your moment. This could be your day. This could be the day when you experience for the first time this real light. And so when the Eucharist comes about or when this Eucharist time of life or whatever Eucharist it might be from here on and all that really is a Thanksgiving moment, it's because of who Jesus is, not because of what you have or the people in your life or a good grade or a raise, but instead your thankfulness comes inwardly from a place of knowing the King of the world. There's a seat at the table for you. There's nothing special that Satan did to exclude you or to keep you out, but instead Jesus' blood is for you as well. His sacrifice is for you. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.